Oh, hey, you're listening to Pep Talk, a podcast launched during the national lockdown in April 2020 to celebrate and support our favourite New Zealand businesses. Join Grace Creft, ex-lawyer and former owner of Sweet Bakery and Cakery to hear about how some of our favourite businesses built their brands, the ups and downs along the way, and what we can do to support them, both now and once business as usual returns. So, are you ready for a little pep talk on your coffee break? Then here's your host, Grace. If you talk to quite a lot of self-employed people or people who are thinking about starting a business, more often than not, the one thing that they are feeling super unsure about is the finances. Tracking income and expenses and paying tax and when do you pay a GST and all those surprise ACC invoices that just seem to show up out of the blue. So, of course, for one of our topic chats, I just had to get a bit of a financy take on things. If I'm honest, as you might know from previous chats, this is not my favorite area of business. And as today's guest says himself, it is totally not a sexy area. But it is so important if you want to succeed in business and actually just in life in general, right? So today's guest is James. He is the co-founder of Henry. Henry is an app that takes basically all of the hassle out of accounting for self-employed people. Uh, Your income just goes in and then Henry automatically takes out your tax, your ACC, at the appropriate rate using a clever algorithm. So you know you're meeting your requirements and you don't have to worry about trying to set aside the right amount of money every month or let's be honest, just spending it by accident. (laughs) So handy. So on this chat today, I'm going to be picking James's brain for some finance and business tips, but I also want to make sure that we hear the Henry story as well, because they are making some serious waves in New Zealand and overseas, and they're disrupting this very old school industry in a pretty cool way. All right, so let's pop our money geek hats on and kick into it. Hi, James. Good afternoon. How are you going? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. It's finally uh, sun shining here, so can't complain. And whereabouts are you based? Uh, I'm in Wellington, and it is... Uh, well, it's not too bad out there. It's The sun's out now, but earlier today it was um, blowing a gale, which is obviously strange for Wellington. <laughs> all right, so we have very kindly got James on today to talk all financial things with us. So finances all around small business, and very topical for you, James, because you run Henry. So I thought maybe before we get into hearing the story of that, maybe it would be cool to hear a bit about your personal background, just because it probably will help make sense of everything so do you have a financial background or how have you wound up where you are now uh, so I have a relatively varied background I suppose most of my early career I was in technology so I was actually a developer back in the day and then um, yeah over the course of a number of years took on a few different roles in sort of project management and consulting and then started working with a number of uh, tech startups here in Wellington and then um, got the bug and uh, wound up starting Henry. So not strictly a financial background, but I've worked in financial services for, oh, I don't know, probably about sort of eight to 10 years of my career. And a combination of the like 
techie side of it and the and the financial side of it by the sounds of it yeah yeah that's right so i was originally um i worked for some consultancies in london and that was all kind of financial services consulting but on the technology side of things within sort of banks and regulators and other financial organizations yeah okay so you can see it all coming together it makes sense and you also because i'm guessing at some stage during that time you worked as a freelancer yourself so is that kind of what sparked the idea of helping make finance or financial stuff easier for freelancers yeah it was actually um it was probably about five or six years ago here in new zealand and i uh, myself and and my co-founder were um we came both came out of salaried work uh, took on some contract roles and just really struggled with all of the financial side of things, not because we didn't understand it, but just there was so much hassle involved with it. And like a lot of people, we sort of, you know, make a few mistakes and struggle on. And it was only really um, when we had a couple of other friends who came out of salaried work who said, who said to us, you know, what, what do you do about all of this stuff? Because it seems like a real pain. And um, yeah, we, we, had a, we had a sort of a couple of spreadsheets and a few ways of doing things. And we said, well, why don't we put you through our spreadsheets? And then they told some people about it and they told some people about it. And the next thing we knew, we, we had a business. You didn't kind of originally, you weren't looking for a business idea, I guess. It just kind of naturally progressed. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It was more, it was something we'd done to solve personal pain. And I've, I've always, I suppose, kind of had a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit. And um, But it was only really because I was, uh, I was working in the startup scene and I happened to be doing sort of freelance work at the time that the sort of the two combined and I realized that this thing that I'd been doing to manage myself and my co-founders um, sort of financial dilemmas was, was actually something that was potentially applicable to other people and, and why not see if um, you know other people found that the, the problems the same as, as we did. Mm, it's how the best like so many of the best businesses is just like they say from a or like you said from a personal pain that you solve and then other people are like oh actually can you help me with that too? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's really interesting when when we look at it because I mean, I, I, as I say, whilst whilst I've worked in financial services for for quite a few years, I'm I'm not an accountant by trade, and it's sort of now, you know, Henry is is New Zealand's fastest growing accountancy, and we have more people on our books than any other accountancy in in the country, and and it's one of those things when it, it's almost taken people from outside accounting to realise that actually it's a it's a very slow sort of uh, quite old. School market and actually you know there are really new and modern ways to solve some of these problems that have plagued self-employed freelancers and contractors for a number of years and funny that yeah it's kind of like the whole modern thing of how you know the biggest taxi company in the world doesn't own any cars and now it's like the fastest growing accountancy doesn't have an accountant behind it and stuff so I guess it's the new way of doing things yeah, I mean, we sort of, this is the funny thing, we, we started with just a couple of us with sort of a financial background and obviously very quickly employed an accountant, but we yeah. had to kind of tame tame the accountant away from, you know, wanting to work with paper and, and wanting to sort of invite people into the office to sit in a, in a sort of dusty room with old books and actually try and encourage them to go look at, you know, the modern market wants, you know, real time sort of live chat. People want to be able mm. to get answers quickly. They want a mobile app to be able to record expenses and raise invoices. And, and most of all, and I cannot stress this enough, people don't want to talk about tax. It's not sexy. <laughs> it's not interesting. 
and that's coming yeah. from me. I, I find it intensely boring, but that's why we have a bit. That's why we have a business is because, like, why should you ever have to think about tax unless you're someone whose business it is to to do tax professionally? Totally. The only time you want to talk about tax is when you get a refund, right? Exactly. Exactly. And that's. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of that's. I suppose that's the ethos behind Henry. Is it's really about making self-employment self-employment simple, affordable, and accessible for anyone without them having to learn all of the tax jargon and all of the details of it. So it's kind of we take care of all of the all of that kind of hassle, and then you can actually focus on working with your clients or spending time with friends and family, those sorts of things. Yeah, absolutely. And how did you come up with the name? What does it have any meaning behind it? Because like, do people call you Henry quite a lot? Yeah, I got shouted at in my car the other day. Uh, so I'm like, you know, when someone gives you that, they do that kind of wind down the window motion with their hand. Oh yeah, which yeah, I, yeah. I still find hilarious because no one's had wind down windows in True. twenty years. But they gave me that motion, and I, I wound down the window, and he just shouted, "Hey, Henry!" It was a really weird. It's like a surreal moment. Uh, but yeah, no. Occasionally, people do. But the the, the original name came from um, sort of the idea for the service being this sort of uh, this helper, this financial sidekick that takes care of all the the admin for you, so you don't have to. And we we sort of had this idea that it had a bunch of attributes as a as a person, and it was you know someone who was friendly and reliable and smart and you know really efficient, but also quite fun to hang around with and, and quite entertaining. And um, as I say, I was working in the startup scene, and, and so I put all of those attributes together and put it out to the community and said, what is the name of a person that is these things? And someone came back and said, that sounds like my friend Henry. They're really smart, cool to hang around with. And then someone else piped in and said, yeah, actually, I know a Henry like that. They've got horn rim glasses and this, that, and the other. And yeah, we just, we just really, we love the name. And obviously, you know, domain names are expensive. So uh, we had to drop the E out of the name and go with H-N-R-Y. But um, yeah, we always like to joke that it's still just as, uh, it's still pronounced exactly the same as Henry, but we've been so efficient, we've uh, removed the E from the name. <laughs> we don't need the E, silent E, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's a natural thing for startups as well. You just remove all of the vowels. That's, that's par for the course. I like that. It definitely, yeah, like you, like we've talked about the finance and the tax stuff is not like super sexy but I feel like giving it a personality and you know bringing it to life a little bit with the way that you've done with the name and the way you talk about it works really well yeah and if people uh, obviously you know four letter domain names sometimes people can fat finger them and occasionally we get called horny which is uh, always interesting but then you know obviously we went to, to, to the lengths of buying horny.co.nz so if you do fat finger it you'll still end up at our website which just in I case was, just but who knows honest, what you can that, do with that it could be really I just, valuable I just think there'll be so many disappointed people when you turn up <laughs> at this this tax app um, and so all I can say is like I'm sorry New Zealand I'm genuinely yeah. apologetic it's not sexy it's the opposite of horny <laughs> Oh, brilliant. So there's quite a big step from, I guess, like having this idea of the, and you know, like running your friends figures through your spreadsheets to where you guys are now. And you went through an accelerator program somewhere along the way, didn't you? Did that really give it like a big boost? Yeah, so that was, um, we went through an accelerator in oh, early 2018. And actually, I'd, I'd been one of the coaches for the prior year of that accelerator. So I sort of had firsthand experience of actually teaching other people how to go through that process. Um, and I mean, it was it was really useful. And obviously, I'm, I'm a little bit biased because I probably worked at that place for about sort of two, three years on about four or five of their different accelerators before going through one myself. Um, 
But I have to say that I was probably the most irritating person they had in that in that whole accelerator, <laughs> given that I already knew what was coming up, and I'm a very impatient person. Um, but it was it was it was incredibly useful. We we spent sort of three months. Um, I suppose I, I went unpaid for three months, and my co-founders were uh, sort of popping in around, in and around their their day jobs, and and we sort of refined more about how we talk about Henry than what the service was, because it's very hard to. Um, tell people about a service that they have no context of and, and no sort of no idea what it is because I mean no one's googling for that all-in-one tax service that takes care of invoicing and expenses and payments and tax filings like yeah. it doesn't exist like so they don't you, know they need it right they don't know they need it so mm. how do you how do you advertise something to people who don't know that they actually have any pain and it's sort of it was a really interesting three months of kind of refining through how we describe the service and and what sorts of people would want to use this service. Um, and so, yeah, really good kind of intensive period of time to kind of refine through a whole bunch of stuff and work with a bunch of our customers to find that out. And then more recently, you've had big growth with more staff coming on and raising money and launching in Australia. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So we are now, so yeah, I mean, two, two and a half years ago, we were me unpaid full time and I think we've just taken on our 23rd member of staff oh which wow is, um, <laughs> which is yeah which is which is quite exciting and then we have we we sort of soft launched in Australia in early 2020 and then we had sort of more of a public rollout in October 2020 so we're now hiring in Australia into our office there which is quite cool and yeah lots lots going on yeah sounds like it quite uh, I mean that's a lot has happened this year anyway, but it sounds like even more is happening with you guys. And I gather that like COVID obviously has an interesting effect on what you guys are doing because maybe more people are self-employed than they used to be and the way that we work is kind of looking a bit different. Is is that kind of what's played out for you guys? Yeah, we, we saw a lot of that during COVID that um well firstly there was sort of two there was two things. There was a huge amount of uncertainty for self-employed people uh, in particular. Um, specifically around things like getting access to the wage subsidy. So um, one of the primary roles that we played through the the sort of lockdown period, I suppose, was helping to educate self-employed people, not not just our customers, but anyone who wanted to know about how to get access to the wage subsidy and what they were eligible for. Um, And then we absolutely saw a a huge uptake in people signing up for our service um, through the website. So I think it was about sign-ups were 260% higher than the same three months last year. which is just huge in terms, you know, from our perspective, and and that really is a reflection on how many people started to think differently about how they might earn and started to look at different opportunities to earn independently rather than sort of being tied to a particular salary job. You've been starting out. How have you found it with kind of building trust with people? Because that's what something that has popped into my head with you guys is like you are asking people to hand over all of their income or you know some of the income to you guys because it all goes through you right into a third-party bank account has that is that anything that you've ever had to convince people on or are they kind of happy to roll with that well i think it's more again it's kind of more of the way you describe it so you know when you look at what what we do is effectively we have um thousands of accounts where money can be held in trust and if you, you know everyone gets assigned their own account for that money to be held in trust so it's not mixing with other people's and when you explain to people that you know when your clients pay you into your henry bank account we auto- automatically calculate deducted pay all the taxes and then we immediately pass what's yours on to you so the, the sort of the, the the bank account is literally a sort of 60 second pass through between you getting paid by your client and your bank account from henry paying you out 
And so that that sort of trust element, it's interesting because again, you know, when you first arrive on the market and you say, look, get paid into your Henry bank account, and some people will say, oh, but what happens if what happens if I don't know this business goes under? And you say, well. Actually, the money is only ever in the account for about thirty to sixty seconds. So if we if we go under in sixty seconds, when we're a well-funded organisation with you know venture capital backers, uh, that's a very very strange thing. But even if in the event that we did, let's imagine that we did, all the money is held in trust in your name, and so it's never sort of uh, accessible by Henry itself. And when you start to have those conversations, and you say, you know, we, we partner with ASB here in New Zealand, and and uh, and uh, NAB, uh, NAB out in in Australia, you say, look, these are these are significant financial institutions that are holding these funds in trust. This isn't sort of, you know, James's personal bank account that everyone's paying money into. Um, and people start to see that actually the, the trust element is more about understanding this is sort of a new wave of financial services, and this is actually a really useful thing for people to get on board with. Absolutely. I know from personal experience, like starting out in a business and oftentimes no matter how big the business becomes, when you start out, you are a sole trader. Like that's just quite common and it's so intimidating. You're like, and so many people ask me this, like in this business space and talking to people about wanting to start things. They're like, what, what on earth do I do about tax? And like, what is ACC? Like, how do I do ACC? Now I'm self-employed and how do I know how much to set aside? And what if I spend my tax before the end of the year and all of those things. So like I hundred percent see the value in this and I wish it had been around when I started my business because I was using spreadsheets and it was not pretty. Well, I mean, I I have been down that road, and and I think I always I'm really honest about holding myself up as the poster child for making mistakes when it comes to this kind of stuff. Like I'm I'm not sitting here saying, hey, I had the, I had the perfect spreadsheet. My whole world was was trial and error. I mean, I'm I'm from the UK originally. I had no idea what ACC was until a bill turned up at one point. Yeah, and. You know, they had me on a code of manufacturing and it was sort of a $2,000 bill and you're like, where has this come from and why do I have to pay it in the next 30 days? And, you know, I, I had this sort of, I had the traditional old school accountant who I rang up and I said, what's the deal with this ACC bill? And he said, oh, we don't do ACC. And I'm like, what? But I thought you did the taxes. And he's like, yes, but ACC is technically a levy. No, just, oh. Yeah. It's, helpful. It, 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 yeah, helpful. Yeah, thank, thanks, Gareth. Cheers for that. But um, it was more, the more I made these mistakes, like you know, I unnecessarily registered as a company, thinking I needed to be, um, and when actually, really, I mean, genuinely, I just wanted the business cards. Um, but it was all these things where I, I sort of made all of the classic mistakes, and it was only by doing that that I realised that actually it's so inefficient for self-employed individuals to try and squeeze themselves into a world where everyone's used to small business. And, you know, I always love the the quote from one of our customers who's a midwife who went to go and get a, you know, before she joined Henry, she went to get a loan and and the, the person at the bank said, have you got a profit and loss? She said, I'm a midwife. Why do I need a profit and loss? Um, so it's it's really exciting for us to be able to, to kind of help people get access to loans and mortgages when they're working independently without any of that stigma that comes with being self-employed. It's kind of a middle ground and it, yeah, it, that was kind of slipping through the cracks maybe with some of those things. And I think there's also for like someone like a midwife or, or any, well, a lot of self-employed people, like you can really get bogged down with the admin. Like it would take me so much longer to do to try and figure it all out than obviously using an app or something um, and so something like this just means that you can actually do the bits that you're good at and the bits that you enjoy and not spend hours like inefficiently working on something 
Yeah, it's, I mean, the most frustrating part for me about the whole sort of prior experience of, of being independent was that the kind of old school accounting industry always says things like, oh, put aside 33% of your income for tax and put it in an account and don't touch it. And I would say to my accountant, well, well, what is my tax rate? And he'll say, oh, I don't, I won't know for 12 months. <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, but, but what if I need some of that money? And he said, oh, no, you can't touch that money. And at the end of the year, he would say, oh, well, so the amount of tax that you're paying is equivalent to a tax rate of 23%. And you'd say, but I've just, I've had 10% there, just sat in an account I could have been using. And he said, oh, yes, but now you get to keep that. And I was like, well, actually, why wouldn't I just know exactly what was mine in my pocket as I earn? And then I can plan for the future and I can know how much I can spend on a holiday without constantly sort of worrying that a tax bill is going to creep around the corner and, and leave me, you know, scrabbling around trying to find money. 100% and you can have that I mean like money is tight when you're running a small business or you're self-employed like every you know that 10% can make quite a difference so it's no point in just sitting in a bank account if it doesn't need to and you're and so Henry uses an algorithm for that right to try and figure out like to project what it, the rate is going to be is that right yeah that's right so we're so what our app does is constantly reforecasts your income and takes into account all of your expenses to say look based on the earnings you're putting into your Henry account plus any of your other financial information like whether you have a rental property or a, even a salary job alongside it um, we take all of your income into account and we constantly reforecast how much you're going to earn that year and then fluctuate your income tax rate accordingly so after your first sort of month or so with Henry we've learnt your income pattern um, as long as your income is relatively stable your tax rate stays stable but what you do know is if you start to earn a significant amount more then your tax rate is going to go up to make sure that there are no surprises at the end of the year and then vice versa if you start to earn less your tax rate will start to come down because you're not going to earn as much that year and it's more having a feeling that you know the tax rate that you're paying is exactly what you should be paying as opposed to a rough approximation or underpaying or overpaying your tax mm, just gives you that confidence yeah so clever i love it and so of course we've got you here to hopefully pick your brain a little bit about some financy stuff for, for self-employed people uh, and I guess it would be really helpful because you probably come across a lot of questions that people ask and so it might be interesting to share kind of the main things that you've come across that you think people or you know generally people need to consider or be aware of in terms of all this area like there's a lot of stuff out there but you don't always need to worry about everything at the beginning or at the same time so what do you think is kind of the priority of people should be thinking about and understanding uh i think i think probably in my experience the thing that people struggle the most with is that particularly when you're starting out earning income independently it can feel as though you need to uh, try and do everything at once. You know, you've got to try and, um, you know, set up a company and try and sort out all your tax and try and do your branding and your marketing and think about your clients. And I think, you know, a lot of people just struggle to really get started because it feels like there's a massive uphill challenge in the way. Whereas, I think if you break down things into into manageable chunks and, and almost like, you know, the advice I give to a lot of people is, um, put a value on your on your time on your own time this is the thing that self-employed people are, are pretty bad at doing the kind of discretionary time that you have how much is that worth and it's, it's a little bit like um you know if you if you have a garden and you say well look i could spend five hours in the garden doing this weeding doing the lawn whatever it is um and i would probably and this is my own experience i would probably do an average job 
I would say I'm, I'm pretty average when it comes to that stuff. But I say, actually, what would I do if I had five hours back in my life where I didn't have to do chores? What would I go and do with my time? And, and that's your kind of discretionary time. And then you can start to get a bit smarter about going, well, what if, um, what if there was someone else that would come and do that five hours worth of work and they would do that at a price that was not what I would class, you know, value my time at? Is that therefore a good investment? And certainly when you look at you know, thinking about services and how much things cost you, like knowing how much your time is worth is so valuable because you can say, actually, it's a better use of my time for me to do this thing and have someone else come and do that other thing that I would have done myself. Even if I could do it myself and I could do a perfectly capable or average job, you know, I might be able to do a very good job at it. But actually, if, I, if the, the value of my time is, is better spent elsewhere, then actually it's a good thing to sort of outsource. I think that's a really good way of thinking about it. And I often think about because when you're starting out a business, you kind of fall into a trap of feeling like your time is free. Like if I do it, it won't cost anything. But actually, the opportunity cost of you doing it is quite high because of all the other things you could be working on. So it's a, it's a really smart way of thinking about it and also just valuing yourself and what you can offer. And you're not free. So, yeah, I like Well, it's, it comes back to that idea of kind of paying yourself first. I think that's one of those things that people starting out sometimes struggle with because people always try and plow whatever money they make back into their business. But I think kind of understanding how much your own time is worth and then and then sort of paying yourself first is a really important thing because it allows you to um, to recognize that your your time does have value and and how you spend your time has a lot of value and so we see a lot of people starting out as, as sort of you know freelancers particularly in the creative space who you know will look at their evenings and say you know oh that's a lot of time that I have to be able to focus on my business whereas actually what you should be doing is going you know either I'm going to spend my my daytime doing this and therefore that's the time I have available or it's sort of discretionary time in the evening that is worth my while doing not just because hey look here's a block of free time I will work mm, and I mean benefits of of relaxation and stuff factor into that as well that makes you more efficient in other times I guess yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot of, you know, particularly for people who are earning independently, whether that's alongside a salary job or you're earning all of your income independently, there's a lot of um, sort of mental time and, and mental um, sort of uh, sort of uptake that's, that's consumed by what you're doing as an independent individual. And actually downtime is so important. And it's so important to actually take the time for yourself and take time off because otherwise you do, I remember in the early days of Henry, I, I was doing sort of 65 hour weeks or something. And because there's so much to do and there's never enough time to do it. And so until you kind of reconcile with yourself that you're never going to get everything done and therefore you should prioritize the time you have, if you don't do that, you just work endlessly. You know, three in the morning and you're still going and then you have four hours sleep and then you start again. And it, it, you know, it feels like you're on this crazy conveyor belt when actually you do need to step back and go, I only have X amount of hours of working mental capacity in a day. I just need to prioritize better. Yeah, it's not sustainable. And and also it's very hard if you set up your, your business or your personal business in that way, like not paying yourself and working every hour in the day. It's very hard to backtrack on that, I reckon, like to then suddenly be like, okay, I get to a point where I do want to be paid and I don't want to work 16 hours a day. So how do I, like if you've structured your business in a way that it relies on you being free and working all those hours, it's very hard to go backwards from that. Yeah, uh, definitely. I, I think one of the 
One of the weirdest guilty moments I ever had was taking my first paycheck out of Henry. And, you know, we weren't, we weren't paying ourselves a huge amount, but even the kind of nominal pay that we took out, it kind of felt like we were robbing the business and absolutely shouldn't have done. It kind of felt like, you know, we worked so hard to build this business up and then here we were taking money out and it just, it kind of felt weirdly selfish as if, you know, we should be working for free, but you've got to kind of think the opposite of that and go, actually, we got the business to a stage where we could pay ourselves and therefore we should do, even if it is a nominal amount, we have to get into the rhythm of doing that. Otherwise, you're not valuing your own time. Yeah, absolutely. And otherwise, you'd need to be doing something else because everyone needs to live. <laughs> and what are the um, what are the main things that you see pop up from working with lots of people who are self employed that kind of catch people out in that finance tax income kind of space? Um, I think the well, the you know, the, amongst the litany of mistakes that I made, um, I think the thing that actually cost me the most in the long run was unnecessarily registering a company before I needed to. Um, so at the time, I was I was just sort of doing some some freelance work. I was doing some user experience design work. I, I wasn't employing anyone. I so I didn't have staff or inventory or creditors. But because I went to kind of an old school accountant, they said, "Oh well, you know, I'll set you up with this complex accounting software, and you should go and register a company." And I kind of didn't realize at the time that you know the, the old traditional accounting model is that they can make individuals more complex by having them register a company and then you get <laughs> yeah. charged more money because they charge by the hour. And I, I never realized this until I kind of was in talking to a whole bunch of these these old school accountants and I made a joke about how like, oh, you know, we just think that you guys make individuals more complex by registering them as companies so that you can charge them more. And they just looked me in the face and said, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I can't shameless. believe that's true. It's shameless. <laughs> um, and so I think... You know, if you're someone who may in future employ staff and actually get to run a small business as a, you know, uh, a, you know, three, four person business or something, that's great. But you can graduate to being a company later. You don't have to start by setting up the company. Um, you can, you know, because a lot of small businesses, it's very hard to get them off the ground. You don't need the additional pressure of, you know, extra tax returns and extra regulatory stress coming on top of you. Um, so that that's always a big one. And then I think, you know, it, my, my kind of area of expertise, so, so to speak, but the tax stuff really catches people out. And it's just... My, my advice to people is regardless of whether you're using something like Henry to automatically take care of your tax or you're doing it yourself, it, the primary thing is to build good financial habits right from the start, even tiny little habits of whether it's paying yourself or, um, or putting money away for GST and income tax and, and ACC. But you have to build habits around that because like we were saying earlier, it's very hard to go backwards and retrospectively catch up if you, if you don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good tip. And then also, I guess, because you've had, you obviously, you've got lots of tips in the, in the finance space, but you've also started a, a business, a startup yourself. So it'd be kind of interesting to find out on that side of things, like if you have, uh, you know, something you've learned or a bit of advice for someone who's got an idea like you guys had, and how to kind of bring that to fruition and take it onwards and upwards like you guys have done. Uh, so I, I, I always say to people, and I probably will forget the list of things now, seeing as I'm on the spot, but I would say that you, you only really need five things to prove whether or not your idea is a viable business. Okay. And that is, you need, you need a one-page website, you need an email address, uh, possibly a phone number, um, something like Google Docs is always is always useful, and... Uh, Oh, the fifth one escaped it's number me. Number five. I was doing so well. <laughs> you were. 
you know I was what? so it's, impressed. Let me just pretend that there are four things that you need. And we'll, just, we'll just, yeah. The fifth one will come to me later. Um, <laughs> There's definitely think, four. <laughs> a pen, a pen. It was five. There's a pen there. There you go. Oh, you yeah. need a pen for something. That's always um, helpful. A, a token pen. Nice or pencil. I don't judge. Um, but genuinely, you, you should be able to validate your business idea with just those those few things. And genuinely, that's how we started Henry. We had we put out um, we had a basic website that articulated what the service was, probably quite badly at the time. Um, we had support via email address and, and phone. And then we used um, you know digital advertising to direct people to the website to see if they were interested. And the whole thing cost us... I don't know, a couple of hundred dollars maybe, once you've bought a web address and you've, you've built it and you've put some advertising behind it. But you should never go too far into building something until you know that people are actually willing to not just use it, but repeatedly pay for it. Um, because so many people start with the product and they start with this idea of this thing they're going to build and it's going to be this great thing that everyone's going to love. But you actually have to start with the problem you're trying to solve and do people have this problem you're trying to solve and how much will they pay for, for you to take it away from them? Mm, I, th- I think that's really great because in any business, like not even tech world, but you often feel like quite intimidated by like what you like you said yourself everything you've got to do right like the the massive list of jobs but like when you simplify it and you're like actually to get started you only need these five things or four things then it makes it much less intimidating I guess yeah and, and then you can you know one of the lessons from early on um, when we started Henry was even though we were following this approach of kind of very gradually incrementally building things out we, um, we, we did get to a stage where we slightly got ahead of ourselves and then we had to unpick it later. We, we, you know, we made a number of assumptions about the sorts of things that people would want to do in our app. And rather than do what we should have done, which is kind of saying to our, our customers, hey, look, what would you like and, and you know, what are the challenges that you have? We made, we made an assumption and said, oh, well, we think people would want this part of the app to be called blah or whatever it was and it was late, later on we realized that actually the reason that we had that was because we'd assumed it not because we'd actually actively worked with our customers so that really kind of taught us very very early on that we need to actively engage our customers in everything that we do and everything that we build because at the end of the day we're building the product for them we're not building it for ourselves we're not actually the users of the product and so if our customers don't like it or don't understand it then we've done it wrong yeah what's the point yeah I think there's a bit of a I don't know what it it would be like a stigma or something that in business you're meant to know all the answers like you're just meant to provide the perfect solution and that if you're asking people for it what you should do then it means you don't know I I don't know not sure if I'm describing that quite right but that's kind of a feeling that I get like but actually so much smarter just to ask right and then you're giving people what they actually want yeah I think I think not knowing and you know, I think one of the big things around sort of culturally that the fear of failure is a is a is a big thing that, that holds people back in a number of different ways. But you know, part of it is when you when you sort of talk about and you think about your school days, right? Failing was the worst possible outcome. And failing just meant that you didn't know the right answer. But in order to get to the right answer, you probably have to fail repeatedly as part of learning. And so we start to look at like the nature of how do you learn things and learning and if you anyone who's learned to, to juggle is his classic example, right? It's consistent failure over and over again, trying different things, trying different techniques, and eventually gradually in the course of five or six hours, 
you can actually learn to, to juggle. And but you you the first time you drop the ball, you don't walk away and go, well, I failed, so I'll just give up. You go, well, actually, something didn't work there. Let me find out what it was and let me try something different. And I think the more you can involve customers in that, and the more you can develop a culture of actually having rapid feedback from customers and, and being open to customers telling you that something doesn't work for them like, like we've ended up at, um, if you can get that kind of cultural fit, then actually customers will forgive the odd bit where you run too fast or you do things and they'll say, actually, hey, like this is where we want to go and this is the kind of things we want to see. And then it's so rewarding to be able to build something for someone else, like literally with that person in mind. And then sometimes we'll like give them a shout out on social media and we'll go, thanks for the idea. This one's for you. <laughs> I love that. And that's how you build so much loyalty and spread word of mouth, which is, must be so valuable for something like what you guys are doing. Yeah, it's, it's huge. We get, I think over the last three years, consistently, um, whenever someone signs up, I think 40% of the time they say they first heard about Henry from friends and family. So oh, it's that's huge. huge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, right? Like it's, it's one of those like life hacks, you know, that, that people pass on and, th- and that they want to pass on. Like they feel good. They feel like they've discovered something that they can pass on to help someone else. Yeah, I mean, we were we were so surprised, sort of super early on. We we put in place a kind of referral scheme where if you're if you're a Henry customer and you refer a friend, you can get twenty five dollars off your Henry fees and twenty five dollars off their Henry fees if you if you give them your unique link. But um, we got one of our one of our customers got in touch once, and it was out of the blue. And like we we always talk to our customers online and over the phone. We've got like a really good relationship with them. And one of them got in touch and said, "Hey, I just want you to know." Um, I've just been referring so many people to Henry, but I don't ever use the promo code because I don't want them to feel like I'm doing it for me. I'm doing it for them because it's a good thing for them and I want them to get rid of this tax burden and this financial hassle. But just so you know, like I love this service and I recommend everyone uses it, but I'm never going to do it because I get 25 bucks for me and 25 bucks for them. Wow, that's really good loyalty. Yeah, and and I think we're always... You know, for us, the customer is literally at the forefront of everything that we do, and, and you know, we, we're sort of we're so uh, kind of focused on on staying in tune with our customers that you know everyone in the company will talk to customers and we'll all be on kind of various forms of customer communication because it's it's a team effort. You know, all of our developers have to know what the customers are thinking, and you know, I'll jump onto the the, the live chat and talk to customers, and some of them don't believe that it's me and they think it's a bot, which is weird. But it's <laughs> it's a really really important part of building a service for someone else is that everyone has their eyeballs on what the customers are talking about and yeah and you don't want to lose touch with that as, you know as the visionary behind it if it's quite dangerous for you to be off the shop floor totally because uh, you just yeah lose touch with what's actually happening yeah and i think it and i genuinely enjoy it it's kind of i think we all started this business because we like solving problems for people and there's nothing more satisfying than no matter how big or small the problem is solving solving someone's problem and having them go oh thanks that's really helpful like everybody loves that like it's a genuine you know it's a pleasure being able to help people in a way that when i was contracting freelancing when i was doing it there wasn't any help there wasn't any support i either had i could browse the ird website or i could phone up my condescending accountant and get a lesson in terminal tax you know, but I, I just wanted plain, simple help from people who understood that I was not a tax expert. Yeah, a bit of a buzz to be able to do that for sure. 
And so before we wrap up, which we better do soon, but what I'm interested to hear what's next for Henry. What's the big picture plan? Is it more overseas territories or something like that? Yeah, it, it will be. I think the next step, uh, early next year, we're going to resume hiring in Australia. We put a little bit of a pause on the Australian hiring um, due to COVID. But um, yeah, early next year, we'll be, um, we'll be kicking that back off again, which I'm really, really excited about. It's going to be great to get more people in the ground over in the Australian office. Um, and then, yeah, I think for us, the you know, we know that what we're doing is a kind of global problem that we're solving. And uh, it's really exciting for us to be able to look ahead and say there are so many other countries or some other people that are struggling with this same thing and no one out there is solving the problem in the same way that, that we do so it's really exciting for us to kind of look to the future and say how how can we do more for people and how can we help and, and I think part of that is the role we're starting to play as an advocate for the self-employed or for what we would kind of call the, the independent earner, you know, anyone earning income outside of salaried work. Um, and it's really exciting to be able to go, you know, sit down with government and sit with IRD and ACC and MB and, and others and, and the ATO in Australia and sit down and say, hey, look, this is what self-employed people are talking about and this is the challenges that they're facing. Um, and that's a role that we can play now that we have the kind of scale that we do. We're in a position to go and actually make a difference in a much longer term sense rather than just sort of you know solve the particular problem we can actually go to industry groups we can go to government and say this is a significant issue for this particular industry how do we help solve it Mm, be a bit of an advocate yeah there's so much potential it must be very exciting for you guys especially how fast it's all growing so far would you uh is it is there ever like an equivalent of henry that you do for self-employed people for a small business or like a you know like a company that employs people or is that just a totally different ball game we often get asked it's Mm. certainly not it's not something that's on our roadmap at the moment we actually find that a lot of people who have made the mistake that I did of kind of you know, registering a company, they're coming back the other way and they're saying, actually, I don't need this company. It's a bit of a burden. You know, can you help me get off this company and just be a sole trader, which we do quite a lot of. Our team does a lot of that day in, day out. But when it comes to people who actually have small businesses, um, you know, as, a, as an accountant, we would always recommend going and getting good professional support. There's some great accounting software out there if you actually have the complexity that requires sort of small business accounting software. There's some great stuff that you can go and get and use and there's some, there are some really good accountants out there that specialize in, in small business. Um, and you know we, we're not looking to really go into that part of the market because our primary focus is the sort of the forgotten part of the economy that is the individual who tends to be sort of overlooked in favor of people who are running those small businesses. That makes sense. And yeah, great to stay in your lane with it, I guess, because it's always tempting in business to, when you people ask for things to be like, oh yeah, yeah, we can do that. Yeah, that sounds valuable. Let's do that. But actually that's when things can get super fuzzy and you lose clarity. Whereas if you actually like, nope, this is what we do. We do this and we do it really well. I think there's a lot of value in that. Yeah, part of that is sticking to a, to a, quite fiercely to our, our mission, which is that, as I said earlier, about you know making self-employment simple and affordable and accessible for anyone. And you know there are a number of things that we can do there, and there are still further things we can do over and above our current service offering that we can do more for for individuals. But we what we tend to do is is kind of look at it about actually what is what is our core focus? What is the thing that we want to be really really good at? And it, you know we we can absolutely go and you know apply the same lens to small business, but it's probably going to be 
Um, you know, very, very complex. It's probably going to get to a point where we're not able to do as much as we can do for individuals. And genuinely, there's, there's so much that we can do for the individuals. There's, there's almost no need to stray from the lane whilst we've still got so many people we can be helping. Mm, that makes sense. Nice. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for sharing all that with us. There was some good tips and then also obviously very interested in the whole Henry story and, and your journey as well. So I was very interested to hear all of that. So thanks for sharing it with us. No worries. No, it's an absolute pleasure. All right. And we will put in the show notes for everyone to go and find Henry if they're intrigued to check it out and find out what it's about. And you're on social media as well. So we'll pop those tags in too so people can have a nosy. Awesome. Sweet. Thanks, James. Take care. Bye. Thanks. Well, there you go. Like we said, tax may not be the sexiest topics, but I do still think that that chat was really fun and James did make a bit of a boring area a bit more interesting. So really cool to get all of his tips and tricks, not just about finance and tax, but also about business. Let's not forget that he's launched and is growing the fastest growing accountancy in the country and he's not even an accountant, which I thought was pretty cool. Thank you so much for having a listen to Pep Talk today. I hope that you picked something handy up along the way while you were having a listen. I really can't believe that we are nearly at the end of 2020 and Christmas is just around the corner. Pep Talk is going to be taking a bit of a break over the holidays. So stay up to date on Instagram at peptalknz so that you can keep up with when we finish up and when we start back and what we're going to be getting up to in between. Until next time, bye!